want your love. Your love was handmade for somebody like me. Come on now, follow my lead. I may be crazy, don't mind me. So, welcome back to episode four of the 10 Years of Tones podcast with me, Sam White. And yes, back again, this time to talk all things Gen 7 and Gen 8. And joining me, we have, we're welcoming back two members from last week's chat. We have Andy and Ev. Welcome back, lads. Thanks, Thanks for having us, Sam. You're very welcome. Um, and then joining us uh, for the first time this evening, we have two, well, we actually have three people. I'll explain why there's three more people. Um, but um, normally what I what we do if, when we have new guests on is I get you to say your name, your T number, and what generations of Trinitones you were a part of. So. Uh, if you could introduce yourself that way, that would be great. So, Hello, uh, my name is Patrick Kennedy. Um, I'm T43, and I joined at the end of Generation 6, uh, and I left the group then at the end of uh, Gen X. Gen X. Yeah, um, hey everyone, my name is Billy. Uh, I am, Jesus, T45, I think. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, and I joined uh, started Gen 7 and then still technically a current member. So You are you are on your year of grace technically at the moment, Billy? Yeah, yeah, well Yeah, it's a complicated year of grace, but yeah, that's that's what I'm doing. Yeah, a year of grace nonetheless. And I mentioned we have three people new people joining us. We will be hearing from Ronald Mackey, who is T 46 we'll be hearing from him on a couple of occasions during uh, this week's episode so we will look forward to hearing from Ronald who is in Australia at the moment so couldn't join us for this evening's chat due to obvious time differences I want to ask our new guests Patrick and Billy starting with you Patrick uh, can you we, we were talking a bit about uh, you last week about your audition for Trinitones and uh, uh, when you joined the group, and as you said, you actually joined quite late in Gen Six. So, can you explain a bit about how about your joining the group? How did you find out about Trinitones? And yeah, were you uh, were you excited to join? Uh, so yeah, I actually had uh, auditions plural, um, mm-hmm. just because I I attempted to join when I came in first year in twenty sixteen, and. Uh, didn't get it that time around, but then uh, joined all the other choirs and whatnot in Trinity. And then when a spot opened up in at the end of that first year, um, at the end of 2017, at the end of the academic year 2017, then uh, I got in the second time around. Um, so I think the first audition I had, it was, I think it was in Matt Murta's apartment in mm. New Square. Mm. And uh, I, it, I can't remember how exactly it worked, but I walked straight into like a group of Trinitones already, so sitting around in a circle. And I must admit, I was quite intimidated, I will say. Uh, and of course, I had decided to sing Where You Walk. It's a very, <laughs> very upbeat tune, that is. 
and um, yeah, obviously it wasn't wasn't quite suitable at the time, um, but at the same time, uh, a, a good experience just to see how the group worked in that, and I think uh, certainly kind of kept my interest for the year. And I remember seeing them at Trinity Bowl um, later on that year, and just um, you know thought it'd be worth uh, keeping an eye on it if a spot did open up uh, to go again. Mm. And uh, Andy, you were meant you mentioned uh, Pat coming in and actually doing a lot of gigs uh, that summer uh, at the end of I guess at the end of Gen Six, just before Australia. And Pat, I think we all appreciate you doing that because you actually didn't go on the trip to Australia, but you helped out a lot with those gigs during the summer, which we all appreciate. And I actually remember uh, you were we actually missed Freshers Week when we were in Australia, and I I think. Were you signing up people for auditions in our in upset when we were in absentia? Yes, that's right. Um, I remember Fair I was clear. just sitting there, and I, I was part of singers as well, so it wasn't that I was, you know, completely on my own. But I remember so many people coming up to me and be like, "Patricia's not away right now," and then having <laughs> to explain that I was only new and money for the summer and whatnot, and all the hard work in terms of fundraising and whatnot was already finished. So, um, but I was, you know, trying to like the cause and you know get more people to join i guess well it's very much appreciated by uh, all of us who were away at the time um great and uh and then billy talk to us about you joining trinitones where did you first hear about the group um i was while well, pat was uh chatting there i was i was um trying to remember uh my audition um so i heard about trinitones for the first time through carl uh i New Carl from like Gwell Talks and French colleges and when I when I was coming into Trinity I just texted him I was like anything like you would suggest to join and he's like oh it's a cappella group um think you'd enjoy it then I auditioned I actually I remember I remember seeing Barry uh, and I hadn't a clue who he was Barry O'Connell um like around the audition time um. And then afterwards, I remember like when he finished, he was like, oh God, that was really good. That was great. But I was absolutely bricking it going up. Uh, I sang Empty Chairs and Empty Tables by, it's the Marius song in uh, Les Mis. Um, mm. Actually, funny one as well. I went to, when I went to start, I took my phone out and I was, I was about to play the, like, the, the music to it so that I'd sing along to it. And Neil yeah, was like, yeah. Wait, what are you doing? This is an a cappella choir, and I was like, "Oh, right." Um, so immediately put me on edge, and then, yeah. Oh, actually, this is this is a story that I don't think many know. That for my for my um my callback, um, I like massively cheated. I got Carl to teach me the T one line of Tim Shill in a in a toilet. Oh my god! In the uh, that all makes sense now. <laughs> for like a good two hours we sang the fucking thing to each other and then Jesus. i waltzed in couldn't sight read at all but did i know tim so hell yeah <laughs> andy give us your reaction to this uh carl told me that at the time and i think it's like an important thing for us was not that you were necessarily going to come in and, and sight read that part because I think we sent people away to learn it. It was more 
the idea that people would actually go out of their way yeah. to learn it. Uh, Barry similarly couldn't sight read and kind of did something similar, I think. So if anything, that was probably a, a very good sign. That's a great point. Yeah. I remember actually, I think I was in your audition, Billy, and um, I remember just Neil straight away, like, I think you might have done maybe the sight reading part of the first audition and like it mightn't have been like perfect but i think neil's suddenly just straight away said he's definitely he's definitely getting in and andy agreed um so and uh, yeah i agree with andy if you were willing to go out of your way to make sure you knew that tim show part um yeah the rest is history um and uh yeah, you mentioned Barry O'Connell. But yeah, Barry O'Connell was part of Gen 7. So you have Barry T44, Billy T45, Ronald Mackey T46. And then similarly to Pat at the end of Gen 6, we would have Ben Stacy join uh, like halfway through the year or towards uh, the, end of, the end of the second term uh, to complete Gen 7. Um, I spoke to Ronald on Sunday and he told me a bit about his audition I thought I was a shoe, kind of a shoe in, hey, but then the boys actually set me out some real tasks. And they made me uh, sing a song in Irish. <laughs> and uh, my only interaction with the language at that point had been on Dublin bus and on Tinder, <laughs> looking at the names of people. <laughs> so that was a real struggle, thinking how I was going to go about that. And luckily i found a cover uh, of an irish group uh also i think they were a cappella or a choir or something singing uh uh, uh africa by toto <laughs> and uh they were singing in irish yeah and so that that was my go-to because i knew that song i just needed to go through the words so i think it i think it pulled off i might have looked like a bit of a smart ass but i honestly didn't really have many options so yeah we we told them that every everyone auditioning for trinitones had to perform oscalga in their (laughs) in their audition so we obviously knew ronald from the trinity tiger tones we heard him sing before he was as good as in coming over but we kind of in order just to take the box, we had to do an audition. So we thought we'd have a bit of fun with it. And uh, yeah, I remember he was, he was very impressive. It was obviously a bit of a farce, you know, the whole thing. But it was it was good. It was good fun. I remember then he left. <laughs> it was just me and Neil. Mm. And Neil said, wow, I, I teared up during his range test. <laughs> 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 yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe uh, but that. It, it, we we obviously knew he was in really before he before he came into audition. Yeah, he was transferred. It was an undisclosed fee transfer from one Trinity to another. Um, but yeah, Andy, we're gonna. I I mentioned briefly at the start before I went back to the lads. We'll go back just briefly to around April or May of Gen Six, because you are now director, and I think it's maybe important to bring up. Uh, just for my own sanity or from um, I think it's important to mention that I think I'm the only person to have ever been elected as director but not actually do the job Um, so Neil had obviously directed the year before and 
I think Neil was at the time around April of Gen 6. The hope was that Neil was going to go back to college after being off books. And it had been maybe discussed about me me joining Neil as joint directors. And without even thinking too much about it, we went to the AGM, which always happens around April, just before we break for exams. And me and Neil were actually sworn in uh, as a joint directors um, uh, in April of that year. And then we spoke during the summer. Uh, we spoke last week about you taking the reins during the summer, which uh, which would have been quite a lot to ask of, of you because you were only in the group for one year. And in the past, like uh, no one would have ever maybe considered someone to, taking the reins after only one being in the group for one year. But you did a great job. I was away in France for a summer. Neil was away in the States. And then we came back. And I think... Um, I'm sure you remember we went to we went to that pub across from the Molly Malone statue. I remember myself, Neil, and yourself, and we chatted about the whole thing. And I don't do you remember this, Andy? I do remember it. Yeah, uh, quite well. The sort of the the situation Neil had uh, left Trinity, yeah. so he he was no longer allowed to be the director in a sort of constitutional sense uh and i, I can't remember there, were, there was talk of you going on erasmus to france is that right there was yeah my situation was pretty bizarre i don't really know why i i just i i, I kind of just said yes without even really thinking about it too much to the directorship and yeah i went to france for a summer which did not go great it didn't go very well and then i was planning on going on an erasmus to leon uh, that September but which was actually the start of that was clashing with the Australia trip so it's all a bit of a mess and I came back from the summer in France and I'd spoken to like I'd even spoken to family about about it because like yes a lot of stuff was going wrong <laughs> and uh, I decided that I wanted to stay in Dublin but I just felt like I wasn't in a position I wasn't in I didn't feel like it was right for me to take on the role of director just because I felt like I was doing it because I felt like I had to do it rather than I wanted to do it and I feel like if you want if you're doing it it should be that you want to do it rather than you feel like you have to do it and that's that happened to me a couple of times in college with various roles so pretty much yeah between the three of us we agreed that uh me and Neil couldn't do it Neil also had more work commitments outside. Of, he was going to do his year of grace, Neil, but he, he wasn't actually going to be able to commit as much time to the group due to work commitments uh, from himself and Zach uh, in their business ventures. So, yeah, we, did, we, we came to the decision that, Andy, you would direct solo. Um, That's right, yeah. And, and so I think it was maybe a natural choice given that when you guys had been away over the summer... I had stepped into that position, but when I had done that, there was no expectation or idea that I would carry that on mm. into the the new year. But when it came to it, everyone was either too old in that they were on their year of grace and mm. too young. They had just finished first year, uh, too new. They had just joined. And I, the only other option really was, was Evan and he was in Tokyo. True. So it was really a, uh, <laughs> 
sort of, I, I became director almost by default situation. Mm. Uh, and I was very happy, happy to do it. Mm. But it, it was certainly not preordained maybe in the way Neil had been the year before. Mm. Uh, I just was the only logical option, I think, at that point. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think it was definitely the right decision. Um, uh, and we we were there to support you. Um, like, I think I stayed on doing socials and helping with arrangements. We That's were right, kind of yeah. we were yeah we kind of had again. I said it about I said it about Gen Six as well. It was kind of a leadership group there. That's so right. We were we were there to support you, but um, it was definitely the right decision. So let's yeah let's so now now that's been established yeah Andy is director and and we head into Gen Seven, um, and the Wikipedia is gonna carry us along. So we had things like at the beginning of the year we had some rehearsal weekends in in Cavan and Andy's uh Andy's family uh holiday uh home in beautiful County Cavan, which was great crack. And then we also had a great few days in Sligo at the International Choral Festival there, which um, was great uh, for bonding, let's say, um, in my in my uh, hometown, of a lot, course. A lot of walking. I was happy to have a lot of walking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'd, I'd like to hear from, well, Billy and, and to a lesser extent, Pat, I guess, about how, how they felt in those trips in that cabin in Sligo you know, how it was like settling into the group at that point. You see, I, I think um, after seeing four, essentially four new generations of guys come in, I mean, technically three because COVID, um, I kind of took for granted at the time how easy it was for me uh, because I had Carl and I knew him. Mm-hmm. So like I always had someone that I could just turn to at any moment. And like, I just had a friendly face. Whereas a lot of guys coming in, they don't know anybody at all. Um, well, for the most part, any of the new guys wouldn't have known anyone. So I just, because I had that comfort of knowing someone, I just was, maybe this is just me, but I just felt like, a like so it was all so fun and so new. Like Calvin was such good crack the first trip. Um, I just like, yeah, different things. I, I just really, really enjoyed it. I, I just thought it was, it was wonderful. Yeah, so I when when I joined, I had a little bit of um, kind of the summer months, and I remember I think my first trip was actually to Waterford, to Neil's house, um, oh, yeah. uh, which was great fun, really. But that was kind of my first my trip away. So then when Calvin came around, kind of uh, to begin the new term, like I still felt new, but I also wasn't brand new like say Billy was, um, but just great memories really of just going for a whole weekend and just getting to spend it in kind of you know real focused rehearsal and just bonding time really uh, because i think it's it's not until you get so much time together with the lads that you that you really get a chance to to chat to them and get to know them and of course pat we mentioned evan was away that term for erasmus you went to hungary that january for the second term of this year so um i think it's yeah, it's definitely important for you to to like get to know the lads in those first few months. So by the time you came back for what we'll talk about the next tour, that uh you got to know everyone very well. 
Yeah, it was kind of strange timing, really, because even even when you mentioned Ev taking over, like Ev wasn't in the group when I joined. Uh, he was away, and then mm. uh, then when I went away, he came back. Yeah. So I actually didn't meet Ev until really the next summer, and like a, a year after joining. And he came in, and obviously as he came back as co-director, I think. And this is kind of like I was like, how did this new guy suddenly? co-directing i was kind of surprising to me in the same way as as when i was away um ben joined yeah um so again a new a new fresh face as soon as i came back um and i kind of felt the group had changed again just in the in the half term that i was away mm. but uh we'll come to a great story here so yeah we've had Kevin, we've had things like sligo great for the lads getting to know each other um but uh, the Wikipedia tells me with Don leaving his uh, di- role as director after the Australian tour, Andy Keenan replaced him as director for Gen 7. And in November 2017, Trinitones were invited to St. Andrews University to perform in the annual a cappella Christmas concert. So this was the beginning of an annual tradition where we would go over to St. Andrews to perform with all their a cappella groups because they have maybe five or six in this in St. Andrews in Scotland. Um, and we formed a very good relationship with the accidentals over there. And yeah, so we went over to St. Andrews uh, for the first time. Some of us arrived at various points over the two days. It was very, it was a flying visit. Um, and uh, so some of us arrived on, I guess the first day, a day before the concert. And then myself included were due to arrive on the day of the concert, um, I was supposed to arrive with Barry McMahon. He missed his flight. He missed his alarm, so he did not <laughs> make the flight and did not come. But Patrick, you did what Barry, not to dig dig a hole for Barry, but uh, let's say you were determined to make the gig, uh, to really, uh, I guess, uh, emphasize your commitment to the group uh from from the off so would you like to tell the story of your trip to st andrews sure this is more of an embarrassing story than anything else to be honest Um, because the morning of the flight i obviously missed my alarm for whatever reason and i woke to a call from andy which was not good no matter who you are but i was still feeling like like a, like a fresh new kid so to get a call from the director knowing i had just missed my flight um wasn't wasn't a good sign at all so i was you know just pa- so panicked i had to just try and remedy the situation in any possible way i could so um i can't remember what the other flight options were but i remember them being like just ridiculously expensive so plan b then i discovered there was a bus to belfast and then a bus from Belfast to Edinburgh, and then I could get from Edinburgh to St. Andrews. <laughs> so I thought, surely this is the best option. Um, so I think within like 30 seconds of hanging up the phone with Andy, <laughs> I had booked this bus uh, from Dublin that brought me to Belfast across on the ferry. And well, you know, 12 hours later, <laughs> I finally made it to St. Andrews. Um, and completely walking in expecting to have to apologize profusely for being so late and missing the <laughs> rehearsal beforehand. But instead of that, somehow the story had spun 
in a positive light for me and i was you know pleasantly surprised to be honest oh i was heroic to say the least i mean it's um, it's kind of one of the most ridiculous the yeah, ever, though. Yeah. <laughs> but uh no it was a it was a very it was a amazing an amazing voyage and yes you made it i think i remember you walking in maybe 30 minutes before we went on stage and then you would have and then we would have headed back to dublin maybe 10 hours later so it's certainly a flying visit to st andrews for patrick um but we've been back many times since and it's become a, a great uh ritual for us to go over there to st andrews um and uh and then we had a great christmas concert that year following that in the unitarian church we were we were back in there for a great night um some great videos on youtube uh, from that gig i was watching recently um particularly of uh ranald singing at last underneath the christmas tree i have an anecdote sam about that uh, yeah. concert a friend of mine who used to come to all of our gigs mm-hmm. uh, another another sam yes tells me that at christmas every year <laughs> His family put on Ranald singing White Christmas and then <laughs> Michael Bublé singing White Christmas and they always prefer Ranald's version. No, In, no, even no. though it's like, you know, a 240p video on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a chat about something that I guess kind of began in November but then extended on to maybe uh, the early months of 2018. And that is, of course... Ireland's got talent. So I don't know if you guys know, but when I was in Gen 5, we auditioned for Britain's Got Talent, but it was just in this like community center in Irish town. There was like two producers there. We sang three songs, all of the same soloist. It was Rich O'Connell. And uh, I think we were supposed to go over to Liverpool in January of Gen 5, but then we were going to Budapest. And they weren't going to like pay for our travel or anything, or we just had to kind of get over there ourselves and we didn't do it. Um, so this was our kind of second attempt at trying, I guess we've been saying it a lot, trying, trying new things, trying to see what, what else can we do as Trinitones that we haven't done before. And going on a show like this was definitely something new. So Andy, how did this whole story begin of us being a part of Ireland's Got Talent? I think the initial link came from Thion, mm. who knew the director of the program or the one of the main producers of the program. And this guy called me up um, and sort of invited us to be on. And fr- frankly, I don't know, I hope we didn't sign an NDA on this, but he, he basically scripted the whole thing, mm. uh, our performance. Uh, so that was where the initial link was. And then I'm sure the other guys will remember that kind of, it, in many ways, it was a, an absolutely miserable experience when we had to go off to the Helix mm. for like 12 hours and do five minutes of interviews. The day of the audition, we, we were sitting in Drogheda. Everyone had to take the day off college. We are sitting in Drogheda from like 8 a.m. until 9 p.m. To, to go on and perform at like 10 to 9 and they demanded, they demanded that we be there all day. Uh, it was, I don't, I don't know uh, how you guys remember that, but like 
I remember not oh, being the torture. So uh, thrilled <laughs> with the way it went. Yeah, what are your memories of it, Billy? That whole process? Because we did another day. I remember in the RDS as well. We did a morning in the RDS or afternoon. I forgot as well. that. Yeah. I missed one of the one of them. I remember the one where we did the actual like um, yeah when we, when we did the, the like the performance. Um, and yeah, it was just mad. I mean, like there was, it's just so staged the whole thing. And I remember like, oh, I would have been maybe, like, I can't remember who the two members are. I think it was like Doug and Carl or something had to like sit and then people had to stand around a certain way. So it looks like they're being viewed by the camera through like the crowd and they had to like do this like forced laugh or like practice singing and shit. It's just like, oh, it was so grim. It was just like a room, a completely like falsified room. Uh, where everyone just like told what to do <laughs> yeah the way it comes across on tv is like just like people don't know the half of what the all the waiting around and stuff is is insane and we did a lot of that um andy i, I remember you you and neil's did you did like a an interview which uh, i was watching back recently it's all on youtube um, yeah we, we did about like a 45 minute interview of which 30 seconds <laughs> was on TV. Yeah. But there was the upshot, I think we got a boost in followers from, yeah. from Ireland's Got Talent online. I know it was, in terms of the numbers that came later, it was small fry, but I, I think we kind of increased about a thousand likes on Facebook from 4,000 to 5,000. Which was big for us at the time. Yeah, that was big for us. And it, it was big at the time, but more importantly, I think that extra thousand might have helped get us over the edge mm. later uh, when we were going live with, yeah. with the videos that went viral. So mm. actually, I think like it's one of those things that probably rewarded us more in, in hindsight, I think. I think we were all kind of annoyed then when, when they didn't let us through to the next round after getting the four yeses. Yeah, that yeah was... I, I didn't understand that bit at all. Yeah. There was one day of filming, the first day of filming was in the RDS, where we were just walking up and down like the road with all the other acts or by ourselves, like slow motion shots. And then we were in the main hall of the RDS, just standing around and maybe talking to other people. And that's supposed to be like just before you go on stage when you watch it on TV. But then we had to do another day in, as Andy said, in in, uh, in Dundalk. Uh, and we had to wait around all day to actually go on and sing. I was really late by the time we went on and sang. Um, but we did really well. Like we, we managed to give whatever energy we had left to the performance. Um, we did a cover of Ed Sheeran's Shape of You. Um, we received a standing ovation and yes votes from all four judges, which were uh, Louis Walsh, Jason Byrne, Michelle Visage and Denise Van Outen. And we got Louis Walsh's biggest yes of the day to quote him directly um but we as you said andy we were not subsequently selected to perform in the live stages of the competition which was another day of filming being told that and when when i was chatting to ranald he remembered uh of the 14 that maybe sang on the stage i think there maybe would have only been six or seven of us uh by the by the time we were told whether it was yes or no and did you andy did you think we were going to get through were you i think were you were you expecting <laughs> us to get through? Yeah, like I, I didn't understand how we didn't get through. 
having been sort of poached to be on the show firstly yeah. and then having gotten such a warm reception from the judges mm. obviously there was something about us they felt didn't make good tv mm. um or there, there was something had rubbed them up maybe the wrong way i'll never forget the process of them telling us no the way they film it just like yeah i've never experienced anything like it <laughs> <laughs> you were laughing when they said no you, you like laughed did you <laughs> i don't know i don't know if i laughed in the room i thought it was funny probably or i was just like so exasperated that we had wasted so much time on it uh, i certainly was laughing after yeah yeah just to give people an idea so we go into the room we're faced with the four judges like there's cameras everywhere and the judges have to deliver the statement i guess of us getting kicked out but they do it line by line and they have like six like 10 seconds between each line so we have just we're told to all you have to, lads just stare at the judges directly in the eye and they have to stare at us so uncomfortable like so uncomfortable <laughs> and yeah you couldn't help but laugh by by the time they actually said no and then we had to go out and like pretend to be sad with, with uh, lucy kennedy um but uh i was quite sad actually because just i think it was mainly because i was just after all the work and all the waiting around all the hours we put in like lads had given up a lot to be there to take part and to not get at least onto the first live show, I think it was a little bit disappointing, but I think we got over pretty quickly once we saw the reaction to the TV. Uh, once we saw the reaction to our appearance on on the actual program, and we got we got a fair bit of airtime, didn't we? I think. Yeah, we did. We did get a good bit of airtime. We got a good bit of coverage in the press as well, hmm. um, which which was nice. It was positive coverage as well. It was nice. Yeah, so I think it was overall it was worthwhile, but I will say the other thing in hindsight. Um, so they told us how to chop up Shape of You and how yeah. they wanted it to be done, but I think like looking at it, I don't think that performance is like representative of of what we were like as a group, or uh, I don't think it showcases us at our best. Even though I think it went down very well, when when people who I I'm getting to know it and they kind of fig- find out through mutual friends that I'm in Trinitones or was in Trinitones and they look it up and that's the first video that comes up. I'm always kind of a bit yeah. put out maybe. Like, I don't know. I, I don't think it's necessarily was us at our, our best or at our most Trinitones even. Mm. Yeah, we definitely, I think we might've wanted to do other songs, um, yeah. but the the production team, as you said, and as Billy said, it was all very scripted. They wanted certain things to be done a certain way, and they felt like that was a like a song. A song by Ed Sheeran is going to appeal to a lot of people in a country like Ireland. So, to an Irish audience, they felt like that was the best thing we could do. So, and like yeah, I think we gave a good account of ourselves, and I think looking back, it was worth doing. Yes, Billy. Maybe an unpopular. Well, no, I know it's an unpopular opinion. But I actually really liked that arrangement. <laughs> I thought it was fun. Maybe it's because T1s well, can, I, I don't know. not necessarily talking about the arrangement in, in saying it doesn't show us as our best. Just the way it's cut and everything. Yeah, they cut like the rap where we're going at each other. Like there's brilliant photos of yeah, us during true. like the rap scene. It was having the back and forth and they cut all that. Um, mm. But uh, 
yeah, lots of good points there. And Pat, any final thoughts? I kind of enjoyed it. Like it's, it was certainly a long day and two long days of recording. Particularly that I remember we couldn't use our phones and we had to stand kind of oh, to attention geez. the whole time, as if yeah. we were kind of having, you know, like wholehearted conversations in the background of other people's interviews, which certainly, oh, yeah. I don't know, you just kept us on our toes the whole day rather than kind of like sections of it. But I think I think it certainly was a good thing for us to do because so many people afterwards were like, oh yeah, we saw you on on, on Iron Scott Talent. Yeah. I think it just a different audience that we that we hadn't reached beforehand saw us then, which I think helped us certainly um even now I think people would still might recognise us from from that show. Uh so I think in terms of like publicity and, and just getting the name into people's minds and in, in just more widely recognized i think it was a good thing to do so yeah we can move on from there from ireland's got talent to the following month so ireland's got talent went out in around around february and it would have actually helped us sell tickets for a big concert we did in gen 7 in the button factory so the following month the group extended an invite to us and Scottish a cappella groups to join them and the Trinity Bells for a international celebration of a cappella at the Button Factory venue in Temple Bar, Dublin. While the event, featuring the Penn counterparts and the St Andrews Accidentals, was deemed to have been a success, the name of the concert drew criticism. Titled Super Duper Number One Greatest of All Time a cappella Bonanza, the name was selected after it was voted number one by internet trolls. Jesus, who wrote this? In an online Twitter poll. In a bargain plea with the trolls, the group agreed to proceed with the chosen name, provided the tweets in question, some of which were abusive, were removed. So, <laughs> um, that happened. Um, and to, on a serious note, we did this gig, and I think it was quite an ambitious thing for us to do at the time. Something different once again. I don't think there had ever been a, a concert like this where you had not one, not two, not three, but four a cappella groups. We had the Trinity Bells as well joining us for that. Um, the all-female group from, from Trinity. So four groups uh, in one concert would have been uh, unheard of in Ireland. Um, would you agree with that, Andy? To my, to my knowledge, yeah. yeah. It was... That gig, yeah, I suppose it was a pretty ambitious idea. The American group messaged either the page or me directly. Mm. I kind of said they were coming over and they'd be interested in in meeting up. Uh, and we've been talking to the accidentals about coming back over as well. So it was kind of a, a perfect storm, the two of them coming over. We got the bells involved. Uh, the concert itself was actually good crack. Mm. Uh, Probably most notable in some ways, uh, a friend of mine called Ross Layden, after two years of being in the group, I'd finally got him to, to come along to a concert. And he came up to me after and said, uh, can, I, can I have an audition for you? I would quit the orchestra to, to be involved with the group if I had to. Uh, and that kind of was a really good sign to me of how far we come musically, because I think Trinitone's the orchestra had always looked down on Trinitones, rightly or wrongly. Mm. Um, and like for someone from the orchestra to come in and say that uh, kind of was a really good sign of, of where we were, I think. 
at yeah. that time. Mm. Um, but no, it was a great night. Uh, quite stressful, I remember, just because we were we had we had gotten Britney mics in because we had, did work so well in Australia, and maybe they didn't work as well this time. But like, I think the other groups really enjoyed it. It sounded great, um, and it's a great venue, the Button Factory. I think we sold out the gig more or less and Ronald made the good point that we were actually quite I remember we were quite stressed in the lead up to this we were trying to learn we wanted to perform a lot of new music and maybe retire some old ones and he he reminded me that I think we we had a room that we we were rehearsing frantically like choreography and stuff like minutes before going on stage I don't know if you remember that I when we were just before you brought me in there, when you were talking about this gig, I was like, I have no idea what they're talking about. And just when you were, you mentioned this, this scene, now I, it's all flooding back to me. I think it was the debut of, of Call Me Out. Oh, it was, yeah. yeah the debut of Call Me Out. Yeah, it was. It was, it was the, it was the choreography that was causing all the. Was it the debut of Superman as well? I remember we did it. Yeah. It went down very well. Superman, yeah, we did Superman. I think that was the, in terms of Britney mics and like choreo, and obviously we were so tight musically. I'd argue that's one of my favorite gigs ever because Al is an absolute banger. And then, yeah, it was I because I remember finishing that gig and being like, "Well, if this is if this is what I'm in for, <laughs> um, it's going to be class." It was certainly an ambitious set of songs, I think. And yeah, Andy, you're absolutely right. Yeah, we were probably really nervous about doing Al. But yeah, I think I think the main issue was the the choreography um, behind both both Superman and Call Me Al mm. were were causing a bit of um, causing us to get a bit flustered. I feel. But it was a great it was a great thing to do. Have other again collaborate with other groups. I actually forgot to mention in the last episode that before we broke for summer before Australia, we did a gig with the Whiffin Poofs in the chapel, um, which, uh, like the Whiffin Poofs are, Andy, with the Whiffin Poofs, are they the oldest collegiate acapella group? 1909, I think. I can't yeah. imagine there are many older than that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, we're all, we've been lucky to get opportunities to sing with lots of different groups. Welcome into Dublin, obviously. Uh, perform with others on on our respective tours, but um, but certainly that was uh, that was a, a great thing to put on in Dublin, the heart of Dublin, uh, a, a concert solely dedicated to a cappella, not just from us, but uh, four groups in total. So, um, another kind of milestone in terms of like gigs that we could do, gigs that we could put on, and that went down really well on the night. Let's go to April 2018, and this is a big moment. So in April 2018, you have Trinity Ball, and there's a backstory to what we'll talk about, which is the first of the viral live Facebook videos. Um, so by this by this stage. Trinitones had performed at every Trinity Ball since maybe, I want to say, 2013. So we're in 2018. So Trinity Ball at this stage is a gig that Trinitones expect to do. But this year, 
was uh, different because, unfortunately, due to many, due to a number of reasons, uh, we were not going to be performing at the ball. And this was very disappointing for all of us, especially guys that had never got to do it before, like Billy, yourself, and and Barry. Uh, uh, it was really, really like terrible news uh and i i was really i was quite upset about it and we were all quite down we were still going to be allowed to attend the ball but unfortunately we weren't going to be able to perform and what came of this was uh what came of this bad news was something amazing uh which was uh breaking the internet i guess um so yeah so we all got together maybe an hour and a half before the ball. And in the past, we had gone live on Facebook, but only maybe moments before going on stage. So we weren't performing. So um, we were just hanging about, uh, trying to look at everything, on a, like trying to stay positive, stay, stick together as a group. And we decided to go live on Facebook. So yeah, in April 2018, the group's exposure grew when a live video streamed on social media platform Facebook went viral. <laughs> the video, a cover of George Ezra's Budapest, was shared online by free British newspaper Metro UK and garnered over 5 million views in the week following its release. So, Andy, what, uh, what do you remember about like yeah what i was talking about like the build up to build up to the video and subsequently what happened after i don't know how candid i can be here i guess you can you can dump whatever can't fit in but basically there was a new guy at the events company who organized trinity ball and he had probably his own vision for it and like wanted us gone he cut us from it but i think there had been some sort of deal where us and orchestra would get to play every year and he didn't see it. So the compromise was then we would get tickets and we said, we'll just we'll do a live video anyway. And Im immediately, I think it was clearly doing like pretty well, probably because it was an hour and a half earlier. Uh, people were still at pre-drinks, so our friends were watching it. They all got a notification when we went live. Our friends were watching it. That gave it that initial kick. And then the... In the next couple of days it was doing well like so i paid for it to be advertised in cities in america that we were going to and that kind of got, gave it an extra big boost and then storyful rights management got in touch and asked to ask for the rights to it they passed it on to metro and all of a sudden the thing uh, completely blew up it was everywhere like mm. and i i know the groups probably experienced that later with with later things, but at the time it was completely surreal. Which uh, was getting millions of views. Like it was, uh, it was a completely alien concept for us. I think it, we hadn't had a viral video hit a hundred thousand. I think since Trinity Ball, or sorry, since Teenage Dirtbag. So for this was a big, big jump again in virality. All of a sudden, uh, I, I think it was like a real exciting. I remember going to. To a cafe with Zach to help me with the storyful stuff, and it was just like a real 
exciting, like dynamic time. I, mm. I'd be interested to hear what other people's memories of it are. Yeah, um, Evan, what about you? Um, yeah, I just, I remember, well, filming the video, I remember <laughs> we'd kind of given up on performing by that point, and like everyone was just straight into the fact that we had free tickets to the festival. So obviously, like, drinking loads, kind of messing around with songs we had learned, me like, oh, it would have been fun to do that, and all this sort of thing. Um, and then someone just kind of said, oh, do you want to just do a video for, for the crack anyway? So I feel that really came across in the video as well, the kind of the nonchalance and the fun of it all. Like it was really, I think at that point, I know we'd, we'd talked last week and this week about how we were honing the performance and gaining confidence and stuff, but we were still stiff. Like we're all, majority of us are, choir boys by trade you know like we're not all like natural performers so like having that kind of all the pressure taken off and all it was was just a mate with a phone and like the vibe really came through in the video and i think that's what sold it like mm. obviously you can hear after a few beers like a few guys their tuning is off and their timing is off like technically it's not a great performance by any stretch but it's it's just really fun and i think that's what what sold it and um and kind of made it so attractive like when people clicked in like you see it now and like frat boys in the states are making tiktoks imitating it and stuff like this like that that summer following that trinity ball i was i was doing a j1 in in wisconsin and like people i was working with would come up and be like Oh, I just I saw your your video on Facebook last night, and I'm like, pardon? And they're like, yeah, look, and show me the the picture of myself and the lads and the tuxes from a few months before, which is just so surreal. Um, but yeah, that's that's my input. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and Pat and Billy, you would have been in the video as well. I remember Pat, you came back for Trinity Ball from Hungary, and I don't. Don't think you knew well the musicianship that you have you would have been able to maybe learn the lines um pretty pick up the lines pretty quickly but uh what what did you think of all this yeah so i was a late call up i think uh, i remember andy ringing me i was briefly back from from hungary and i think i was flying out the next morning at like 7 a.m so i remember being in Kilkenny kind of the morning of thinking sure like i'm not going to get much of the ball anyway and turns out i been performing plus i haven't been in rehearsal so you know, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting a ticket. But anyway, Andy called me and said, come on up. Anyway, we're not singing, so it's not like I need to know a set or anything. So, uh, but very, very grateful to be there. It was a great night, regardless of anything else. Um, and regardless of the video, even doing well. But I think it was myself and Fionn who were there, who weren't, you know, kind of coming to rehearsal the whole time for whatever reason. And I remember someone saying we wanted to do this video and it was basically between myself or Fionn who wanted to hold the camera and who wanted to sing and neither of us had sang the song ever before and I think we kind of decided that maybe I'd have the better chance of making something up on the T1 line rather than him in the baritone line or something so that's why he was holding the camera and it wasn't me but I remember it was it was great fun just to be with the lads and to sing and uh, obviously I was kind of nervous every time the camera turned around as it came around <laughs> that I, I was hoping it would come to something that I, I kind of could sing along with. Um, 
but yeah, I'd never, I'd never sang the song before. So if you look closely, I am very much making it up. Um, but <laughs> thankfully, I haven't been called out yet. So yeah, poor Fionn got a bit of hate um, in the comments of various posts. He definitely did. <laughs> poor fella. He, t- he, t- he took it to heart as well. Like it was his, yeah, his, his one connection <laughs> to the video, and he was just elated. <laughs> like some, some of the comments were like they weren't nice. No. Wasn't just I mean, it's iconic though. The, yeah. the spinning is iconic. Did um did George Ezra ever respond to us? So no. not officially, not no. Sure. Um so, so yeah, we we did this particular song because he was performing on the night. But um I, I might give a little history lesson about the Budapest arrangement because it what people hear in the video it's not the first time it's not it's the third version i would say of the arrangement so we can go back to the hungary trip in gen 5 when uh well neil was talking about being a cocky first year i probably channeled that a little bit in the sense that i hadn't gotten a solo yet in trinitones and uh i thought oh why don't i arrange something and give myself the solo as some people like to do. So I arranged Budapest by George Ezra before we went to Budapest uh, in Gen 5 and gave myself the solo. So that was just Budapest. So Because the, in the video you have Budapest and Paradise and Paradise had only just come out in 2018. So um, we sang it for a few months then we parked it. And then at the beginning of Gen 7 we went when we went to St. Andrews I arranged White Winter Hymnal and by Fleet Foxes, which was uh, Barry O'Connell's, uh, for one of Barry O'Connell's uh, solos. And uh, in that arrangement, I decided, I know what will work nicely with this song. <laughs> ah, Budapest. Let's bring it back again. So in, uh, I think it's like in the instrumental section of White Winter Hymnal, you hear the chorus me singing budapest so really desperate stuff here and then and then (laughs) and then george ezra is announced to play trinity ball and he has just released a song called paradise which oh that sounds a bit has similar kind of structure to budapest let's go back and make this a medley and get and then and then yeah and then what you saw is version three of the fruits of my labor i guess uh which was the which is the George Ezra medley uh sung by me of course and Ronald Mackey who I would say Ronald takes more credit for uh I guess the reaction in a way just because he became known as the man of the voice deeper than the ocean which I think was was that Metro UK's caption Andy I think it was yeah yeah so that went down very well and Ronald can in back pocket, uh, uh, was uh, seen by millions of people. Yeah, I no one we weren't like angling in like oh this video can be like a viral success. It was probably mm. it's probably even like a bit of a a bit of a joke. It was yeah. a bit of a lighthearted one, you know, that because we got like Fionn in the middle spinning with the camera and stuff like like. Yeah, definitely weren't taking it too seriously. So that happened, and then 
we kind of thought maybe we can ride the the we can ride the wave of this a bit and it did kind of snowball from there because a subsequent cover of Frank Sinatra classic New York New York was also achieved also achieved viral success we went live with this only a matter of weeks later uh, Ranald had arranged New York New York in advance of us going on our next tour which we are coming to soon and this arguably went even more viral. It was picked up by another Facebook page. This is all on Facebook, by the way. I know people don't really like to use Facebook anymore, but um, this video accumulated around 15 million views and counting. And uh, again, not a very good video. I'm sure everyone would agree. Like, <laughs> um, In uh, Neil Dunn's... Uh, car park in the car park in neil dunn's uh, uh complex the sound of yeah. stones kicking stones and just yeah I, sorry andy i don't know if you you guys do this i'm sure i've said it to you since but like neil and i basically very cynically planned that video like we bought we bought like a big whatever we bought two six packs of guinness or two eight packs of guinness uh and like went to learn the song in Neil's apartment. <laughs> Is it, I don't know why people didn't wonder why we were rehearsing in Neil's apartment, but anyway, then we were like, oh, maybe we can go live downstairs with this new song. And then like, we brought out the Guinness and it was all like tailored so that uh, so that it would go viral again. Like, And it did. Um, <laughs> yeah, we were, we were really trying to ride that wave like and try and capture some of that innocence maybe of the of the budapest video or the, the sort of relaxed nature of it so mm. we we like really kind of had planned it but didn't didn't tell anyone until we were out there yep uh yeah and people like ranald as well were really good for recognizing when was maybe a good time to go do a live uh yeah ones like that because he arranged new york new york and we had literally just finished learning it before we did that video also like a couple weeks later we did that uh video of um the new york arrangement in front of neil's house and that mm. blew up as well yeah and i think that was yeah that that kind of made me think that um it wasn't just like a like something in that particular video it was maybe something with the the actual vibe of the group that we had and people mm. i guess were really uh you know clicking into that so it was weird because obviously there's so many groups who went out and did these like super well produced and like well sung kind of videos um choreographed and all that um and you know you just have to do a youtube search to find those kind of things and that had all been around for a while as well and then we came in with this like <laughs> lo-fi we'll call it <laughs> Like uh, some lo-fi acapella. As Evan was saying, these videos of us not taking ourselves too seriously, not even delivering a very good performance, but just the idea of singing in relative harmony, having the crack, just went down so well with people. Um, and, uh, and those two videos were the the, the first of of maybe a few that that had this kind of. Uh, that had this kind of impact online. 
but let's i i guess we can go into the tour so like last last episode we talked so much about the build-up to going on our first tour which took up a lot of the chat which but it was important to talk about that the idea of going on a trip the work that we had to put into going to australia and andy maybe you can talk a bit about the difference between organizing this uh northeast coast of america trip uh to last time because we were bringing less people and i guess we didn't costs weren't going to be as as high as as, as australia i think also the psychological barrier mm. was gone that this would be like an unachievable thing to do taking over from neil there was no question in my mind that i wanted to bring the group on another international tour that that summer we we had already a good few corporate gigs and, and weddings lined up and i sort of kind of pushed on those but it, it seemed clear that we were going to be able to finance it mm. and you're right absolutely the east coast definitely was going to be more manageable financially particularly as new, in new york we had zach's place we could stay in in boston we had a few contacts we could stay with so similar to australia accommodation wasn't going to be a massive financial burden so it's something that like i don't think we were ever ever felt that we weren't going to get to do it was just i think i said it pretty early on in the year this is where we're going um and that was always there in the in the back of people's minds i think absolutely and and zach again massive help being in the group that Mm -hmm. year uh, being yeah, from New York. enormous help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because yeah, it, like not easy directing by yourself, but it, again, lots of people in the group willing to help out. Neil with planning as well. I'm sure, uh, having spent a lot of time in in the state of New York and stuff. Um, but yeah, in May 2018, Keenan led the group on a tour of the American Northeast Coast, which included stops in Montreal, Burlington. Boston. Well, if you were in one car, we went to Gettysburg, <laughs> uh, Washington, D.C., and New York City. Performances on this tour included a performance at the annual Montreal Walk to the Stone famine commemoration for the mayor of Montreal, Valerie Plante, and a performance at the Ben and Jerry's factory in Vermont. That, that Ben and Jerry's gig did stand out for I think one reason and that was I remember kind of is this family uh, you know family and they had teenage kids and they were like oh my god it's those guys from the internet yeah and like the Ben & Jerry's factory is a pretty rural part of Vermont Mm. so to to kind of get that recognition maybe converted those sort of abstract numbers into something a little bit more concrete like people actually did know us or people knew who we were, you know, abroad or around the world. Yeah. So uh, that's also a really important moment in the trip because, so we had been in Montreal and we'd done a couple of gigs uh, for the famine commemoration. And then we had also done, a, we did a great busk in Montreal, I remember, which was, uh, and then, and then, yeah, we were in Vermont. And I remember again, like the previous, we were talking about Australia, Maybe tensions were a bit high. Maybe a few disagreements were being had. Uh, 
because again we were renting cars drive deciding what we wanted to do in such a beautiful place in burlington and and then we went to the ben and jerry's factory which that that was one thing that happened but also we received like the most amazing news that was going to be like defining for the trip yeah well i remember receiving the news um i think actually zach was the one who found out and he said it to me he took me aside in ben and jerry's factory and said it to me and uh <laughs> spoiler alert the news was that we had been invited to to sing at yankee stadium which is something we had sent in an audition tape for, but maybe haven't really thought about much since. Um, so this was only two weeks before I think we performed, but it was like a really great moment. And there was definitely a lot of excitement around that. Absolutely. And then, and then in Washington, D.C., the group was invited to perform at the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy for a sizable crowd including Kennedy's widow, Ethel. And I know, Andy, this was a really important, more than we're going to talk about Yankee Stadium, but in a way, I think this meant a lot more to you than maybe Yankee Stadium would have meant more to a lot of the other guys. Yeah, for me, this was the most impactful performance um, that we did with Trinitones. In the three years I was there, like Robert Kennedy, I think would have been someone I, or still is someone I, I really admire as a political figure or just as a historical figure and kind of meet his wife there and to sing at such a, like a momentous occasion was just a really, really special moment. I think maybe not all the guys would have known a huge amount about him, but the night before everyone watched this Netflix special that had come out. I think then the morning of, uh, everyone was kind of a lot more suitably kind of like awed by the occasion. I mean, Billy, I think I remember you saying you you watched the documentary the night before and kind of then realized how important. Oh, it was. I mean, the 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 most memorable scene from the documentary. I mean, I think every Irish person that to some degree understands, um, the significance that the Kennedys have had on the world, um. But yeah, I remember like I, I was there was a couple of us um in the room and there's that scene where his his body is being brought on the train and everyone's out on the tracks. Um and you just realise like this man was, was so had had so much to live for and just it was such a sad, um terribly sad event. And for us to be able to then commemorate that, doing something we loved and, and share it with his family was just oh, it was incredible. And uh, Pat, you had just arrived, actually. Yourself and Jeff uh, joined us in D.C. Um, and yeah, that was quite a busy time because we were being really well looked after by the the, embassy, the Irish Embassy. And we had done a performance for them in in the Georgetown University. Um, so yeah, and, and then we would have had that a couple of days later. So what, you're kind of thrown into like a really like, wow, this is like, this feels big kind of performance. Yeah, for sure. I I was coming from Erasmus, um, from Hungary, and I had one day at home in Dublin, sure. and then flew straight out with. I think Jeff Johnson was on my flight. Two of us went together and met you in New York, and I remember getting the score. I think did I get the score when I arrived and 
the first couple of hours was just spent trying to catch up because obviously I, I, I hadn't been at rehearsal to go straight into such high profile gigs. Uh, I just tried to try to learn as much as I could, but for sure, like it's it, it was amazing to sing to sing particularly for the Kennedys. Um, as a Kennedy myself, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I suppose I, okay, I don't think I'm related. Haven't checked it out, but I I, I, I don't think I am. Uh, but just to be there an event that's 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 unique i guess um and yeah just fantastic experience just to kind of um just to be present so that that was huge um and then later that week in new york the group sang the american national anthem at yankee stadium before a baseball game between the new york yankees and the washington nationals and where do i start Spoke to Ronald about this and the whole trip, like maybe the Athenaeum in Melbourne, the whole trip was kind of building up to this. And this is only like a, a song that lasts a minute and a half, but the opportunity to sing before a game at Yankee Stadium, like New York Yankees are the like fourth biggest sporting franchise in the world. Like it didn't mean, didn't seem that big to maybe the people in the stadium, but for us, like this was insane so before i remember we were trying to rehearse in zach's house and we were out in the front garden and i just remembered like the rehearsal being intense but everyone had the same intensity that Mm. the only way to do this was to do it perfectly and we're going over lines again and again just like they weren't even wrong they just weren't what weren't the the sheer perfection that we were looking for because this we all we all knew how serious it was we all knew, like, none of us wanted to be a cutout, not knowing a line or not knowing a part and not being completely confident um, in, in any section. So I just remember it was just in the sunshine in Zach's house, out in the grass. It was lovely, actually, as, as a rehearsal space even. But, yeah, I, I think it was certainly worth it because when we went out to sing, my mind wasn't really thinking of what we were singing. It was more so just being amazed about where we were and I remember in particular when they announced us and on the big, huge screen at the far mm. side of the pitch, just the Trinitones logo there. And I thought, wow, we've yeah. really just made it here. So special. Just to sing and then to have, like, just, <laughs> it was just amazing. It really was. Pat, you're absolutely right. When they announced us, I don't think any of us expected that. Uh, probably, I don't know, Andy, maybe you you know more about that did you like send you sent the script yeah, to the Yankees a, yeah a script yeah okay but uh, i guess we didn't know how it was going to be delivered or just like a proper like announcer voice like the world renowned trinitones like jesus christ and then our logos on the big screen we see our faces like catch a glimpse with the logo on your program a couple of weeks ago you were talking to, to Robert and Neil about when Neil came in and redid the logo. Mm. And it's funny to think that that went from this discussion between the guys in, in House 5 to like being on the Jumbotron in Yankee Stadium. <laughs> it kind of just a matter of a few years. It's yeah. it's funny how these things work. Mm. But it looked amazing. And I must give a big shout out to a friend of Trinitone's, Megan Keane, who was at the game that day. And she is the only person, to my knowledge, who has a video of us singing that from start to finish because we don't have any other like and it's a really really good video like she 
she was in the stands like she caught the big screen and uh like brilliant video the only one we have um i don't know if we expected maybe the yankees to send us something but we've never seen it i've never seen it anyway but a big shout out to megan Keane for the only video we have of that day um uh, billy what did you what did you make of the whole thing um yeah I, i think it's one of those really interesting gigs i think um it solidified us as as a generation at that point um because when you do something like that mm. and you put so much into something um and it's only for such a short time it was only for like a minute and 30 seconds but it's it's it was ghastly pat was saying about like we were going over lines and it wasn't it wasn't that we were doing it wrong it was just you know it was a small little bit of emotion that we were, we were holding back in the rehearsal and that wasn't good enough um but I remember afterwards, sort of like decompressing with Ram and Evan, and we were like talking about the fact that um, you you'd be so like it it would be incredible to be a rock star or something, because the 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 um, I guess the emotion that you felt walking on and then walking off was something I have never or probably will never feel again. Um, like forty thousand people, who however many it was, just like cheering and mm. like they had to listen to you first so intensely, and yeah, and then then it's finished and you're walking off and you feel unreal. Um, the only downside to the day was we then then you got to watch baseball, which I think is, is terrible. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we were like trying to sneak beers. Any of the underage ones were trying to sneak beers. And then, yeah, but it's all it's all just part and parcel of tours. I mean, um, but that tour will never. I don't. I, I it'll never be matched. I think in terms of just what we did and the Yankees it was absolutely incredible. Yeah, mm. just incredible. Yeah. Uh, and I, Ronald made a really great point about you, Billy. You're talking about like the, the the appreciation of the people, like feeling yeah feeling so appreciated by such a big crowd um especially after i remember when we were walking into our seats after getting changed going into our seats and people were like shouting like emitting really nice things towards us like um it, it felt really good and but ranald was talking about the moment in the song where people were like oh this is good um man it was uh i'll sum it up by saying uh when when we were standing out there, we were doing the song. People are still like coming in their seats and stuff, but the vibe was like it was great. Everyone's just like listening to us belting out this tune, and then it's like kind of quiet. And then towards the end, people are just like I think it's every time the national anthem gets sung at a sporting event, people just like get hyped and start like cheering and yelling and screaming and stuff and then by the end of it you go like and the land of the free like the that bit at the end and then that's when people start going real nuts and i just remember like this seeing this big guy like opposite across from me or in the we're, we're sitting on the home where we're sort of gathered around the home plate right and this guy who was like sitting in the, the, the few rows back 
just like standing up with his hands, both hands up, just like, hell yeah, America. (laughs) (laughs) And that was like, that was pretty awesome because, you know, um, that's not something you get to see every day. Uh, So that was, uh, no, it was, it was fun. And that, that kind of sums up the, the atmosphere. Hey, it was, it was, it was awesome. I remember just one one last thing on like my personal experience. Um, I remember being so unbelievably like fixated on the mic, um, yeah, and like looking down and like seeing and like seeing everyone's like like cufflinks. I remember seeing like just like cufflinks and shiny <laughs> shoes, and then looking up and just it was it's one of the it's the weirdest thing like you, you your body goes into kind of like a fight or flight mode with the amount of adrenaline that's in your body um mm. and you just forget everything like you, it was finished and it was almost as if you didn't know what had just happened it was like it was, it was a flash and it was all gone yeah maybe it was the immaturity in me like if, if i was to repeat that if, let's say if i if, if i'd done four years of tones and repeated it would i have had a different experience mm. possibly um yeah, no, unforgettable stuff. Yeah, we we were really psyching ourselves up. We we had like a they gave us a locker room. You remember, like gave us like a proper locker room to get changed. Like it's closest I've ever felt to being like a, as you said, a rock star or like a professional athlete. Like, yeah, the adrenaline's building. You're ready to go out and put on a good performance. Yeah, and like we did a we did a concert. We did a gig in New York City as well. Like like kind of our at the end of the tour in this nice theater and broadway um which was a good way to round off the trip but yankees was yankees was was before or after that gig i can't remember i think it was, it after was the gig. it was after because i remember yeah. at the gig i kind of ended the concert by saying thanks very much and if you enjoyed us we'll be performing tomorrow in yankee stadium yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. so there was yeah it was like the most amazing way to end the trip doing that singing star spangled banner but uh yeah so like another again another amazing trip could have talked about a lot more there but those are like the the big things that happened on that uh on our second uh international tour um but andy challenging for you having to try and organize the whole thing but because i i, I remember i said to you on the trip because uh again we had the director fall ill during the trip we had neil in australia and andy i remember you were you weren't uh you were under the weather a couple of days but do you feel like you managed to enjoy it despite uh, all the stress organizing it yeah no i was i was kind of sick for a couple of days um sort of a tummy bug but it, i don't i didn't miss anything important i don't think with those two days so that was fine mm. i have really really fond memories of that trip not just the big moments, but also maybe the quieter moments, um, you know, going to Gettysburg, you mentioned that was like a real, mm. real, like just a lovely moment, like meeting friends over there, staying with Zach's family, meeting those Zach's, Zach's people, you know, I think it was all like the whole trip. I just remember extremely fondly. Yeah. And I would say the stress, maybe there was a bit of stress. Uh, it was pretty large administrative burden Hmm. but i think everyone was pretty everyone in the group was pretty good about it while we were over there and um yeah no i i certainly took a lot of good memories home with me yeah 
And the last thing I wanted to mention, like, yeah, as you said, met a lot of great people, really great time spent, not just singing, but on the rest days, like those quieter days that we realized that we always need on these trips. But also, uh, yeah, it was a really, I remember even at the end when we were kind of wrapping up, we had a nice evening at Zach's house and I want to mention, give Barry a mention because Barry O'Connell, Barry was only in the group for one year. He was great, like brilliant, brilliant addition, uh, both musically and, and as a, as a member in general. But I remember we sang like before he we went to bed, before leaving the next morning, we sang triangle, I think probably sang triangle. And I remember Barry was really emotional and, and that was like, Whoa, like this guy's only been, with the group for a year uh, Barry had been in a group in St Andrews before um, but just seeing that really like for me like hit home like how much the group we've talked about before but how much the group means to people regardless if they've been in it for five or six years or in Barry's case just one year like I don't know if you remember that guys or Andy yeah the group meant a lot to Barry I think hmm. uh, and that was yeah, it was an emotional moment for him, I think, or he was tearing up. Uh, but it was actually really nice, really nice to see that, as you say, he'd been in the group only one year, but really threw himself into it that year. Uh, he and I studied English together. So, you know, we, we became quite close over that year. And I think it was just really nice to, that he ended it on such a high note. He actually maybe he won't thank me for saying this but at the time at the end of the tour he said that was the best three weeks of my life um and that maybe kind of underlines how much the group uh, could mean to people So that brings to a close our second international tour of the American Northeast Coast. Some truly great times. And it's great to look back on all of those. And so that was early in the summer. Um, and then we would have had a busy summer on the back of all the viral videos. We would have been busy with weddings for sure on the back of, I think, one of the good things about Ireland's Got Talent and having these videos of us in our black tie was the weddings were piling up. Um, I'm sure you lads would agree. We were, we were driving all around the country for some of those, some more memorable than others. Um, speaking of weddings, we, and this ties in with electric picnic. We did a wedding in a dare manner. This was the time when, we were really struggling. We weren't really that like the organization was a bit, it was a bit of a struggle because we couldn't find people to drive down or something. Yeah. And we had to, yeah, no one could drive us. Yeah. No one could drive us to electric picnic. And we had to do this wedding. We'd agreed to do this wedding on the Friday, which was the first day of electric picnic. And what did you do, Andy? What was your like genius idea, which 
Like, no one else thought of this. Only you could. <laughs> I don't know, is that a compliment or an insult, really? Because oh, it's a compliment. What I did was basically... Uh, you're really struggling to think of a solution. Get friends to give us a lift. We, we paid <laughs> friends to give us a lift. <laughs> so I, I went up early with... I was there with you. Were you? Yeah. Me, so, you, so and Carl. Me, us, you, and Carl went with one of them. Yeah, to to electric picnic to like stake our spot out in the campsite. Yeah. So we set up the tents. Yeah. And then this person, who was it, Sam? Can you remember? It wasn't Sam Daly. It was one of the other lads. Yeah, um, I think it was a guy, Dara, a friend of mine, Dara, hmm. uh, gave us then like drove us from electric picnic to Adair Manor. Yeah. Uh, where where we met two other cars of lads who had been driven by friends like <laughs> uh and none of these friends who were driving us were going to electric picnic by no. the way they, they were they just drove us to limerick and then to strad valley and then went home to dublin uh, that does that was a good electric picnic performance i remember well for me personally i remember lots of people i knew came like like a lot of people from sligo couple, i remember my cousin was there like like uh and stuff like that and we were on the trailer park stage at like midday and we i think we performed really well we had a couple of years electric picnic where we weren't happy with our performances but i think we were we were, we were really good that day and kind of it was one of those ones spoke with the F name before where you came off with a real buzz mm. i think it was the first time trinitons had like a proper crowd at electric picnic and there were like i don't know two three hundred people there um, which for one on a Saturday at a festival is really good. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, we just sounded great. Like everything felt right. Everything felt good. Uh, yeah. And it was one of those like cherished memories of performance, I suppose. So that was, uh, yeah. So we had electric picnic and then we come to, I guess, the beginning of, of Gen 8. And we have, Returned after two years, Trinitones had returned to its traditional system of duarchy with Evan Holland joining Keenan as director. So again, this would have been decided around April, May. So Evan, talk to us about that, um, did, about uh, joining Andy as director. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to think where you put it to me, Andy. I think we were, were we walking... Walking back to Front Square after busking, maybe. And did I, did I not give you a call and you were in the library or something? Was this? I, I, I think there were two. There was kind of a have a think about it kind of yeah, a thing. Okay. And, and then there was a, um, and then there was a shake my hand right now or, <laughs> or, or, or I'll give it to Sam. um but yeah i i think the the sentiment of it also because obviously i was trying to pursue music on kind of on my own as well i think there would have been a kind of sentiment floating around that like oh if evan isn't if he doesn't have a bigger stake in this he might start floating off and I, I can't can't deny that now. Like we toured Australia, we toured the East Coast, and then it was just like, oh well, do I hang up the boots now? Like I've I had obviously had an unbelievable time. Um, 
but then when you put it to me, I was like, God, that would, it would completely change my perspective on, on the group. And it would just that bit of kind of ownership and that bit of uh, accountability would completely change my experience of being in, in the group. Um, cause before I was just kind of, I saw myself cause I wasn't, wasn't arranging at that point. Um, not a great chorister. Like I just saw myself as kind of like a, a soloist and, um, and, and a driver. Um, so having a, having that, that extra element, well, million elements came with it, but just, it was kind of a level up in terms of how much involvement I had with the group. Um, and yeah, kind of, so I was in final year at that time as well. It kind of kept me sane really um yeah it was i think it, it my experience with the group would have been incomplete if it didn't if it hadn't happened mm. um, for sure and uh andy what did, i didn't ask you uh when you took over if you had anything like like any like big goals f- for the directorship and then i guess you could add in the second year as well onto that with Ev. What what did you guys set out to do from as 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 a duo? I think as I said earlier, when I initially became director, it was sort of out of the blue, right? So it only it was only a week before we went to Australia, I think, and then we were straight into it. So I never there was never really a process, I think, of um of thinking about what I wanted to do with the group before I became director. Mm. Uh, then by the second year, I think it was more, the idea was more evolution than revolution. I thought the gen seven had gone really well. Um, obviously we had the viral videos, but I thought the group was really growing. I, I thought we could improve again musically, mm. although at this stage we already were very strong. Uh, and I, I definitely felt bringing Evan in, with me was like really important because I think the group can, or any group, any organization can grow stagnant if it's just one person at the top or even two people at the top for too long a time. Hmm. Uh, and I think bringing Evan in was really important to make sure the group continued to be dynamic and it, it had, it felt like a different year. It felt like a, a level up from the previous year. Hmm. Um, and to kind of, um, bring it forward a bit um, towards the auditions. Um, like, cause I, I'd been on a J1 and I kind of came back and straight into that. Um, and it was, it's obviously pivotal in terms of what's going to happen with the year. Um, but what we were kind of thinking was that we had in a, in a musicality sense, I feel we'd kind of outgrown what we were doing. Um, and on, on this batch of, um, or the intake rather, we were really focusing on musicianship. Mm. Like as we, we were obviously, we were losing, who were we losing that year in terms of arrangers? Um, well, we lost Neil, Zach, Neil, yeah. Fionn, or sorry, not Fionn, Jeff. Neil, Zach, Jeff, uh, and we were due to be losing Ran in October. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, Ranald had arranged 
New York, which was probably one of the spicier pieces in terms of like obviously Ramos from a jazz background there would have been complexities there that we wouldn't have encountered before. Mm. He was leaving. We wouldn't have arrangements like that anymore. Neil was just an absolute workhorse when it came to um, mm. arrangements. So we were really focusing on like what we could bring in in terms of variety and ability. Um, so yeah, um, does that does that bring us up to the the auditions? Yeah. So T, uh, Gen Eight, we had four new members. We had T forty eight Ross Layden, T forty nine Owen Hand, T fifty Carl Durvin, and T fifty one Niall Barrett. So, as you said, Ev, four very good musicians in their own right. I think it speaks to the quality of that intake. Three of those four went on to direct the group. Mm. Uh, the other, the other was just my mate from school. It was a bit of a net. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but but yeah, we were. I think we were. It was like we had like sixty people come into audition for us. Wow. Like it was the most the group had ever had because of the videos that gone viral. It was just a big thing. Mm. Uh, it was a long week. I think by the end though, we were united evan and i in, in who we were bringing in we there were just four very clear candidates hmm. yeah yeah myself and andy set up shop in house five with the usual um x-factor style uh <laughs> chair chairs on one side of the desk and a fear on the other and <laughs> we yeah did we have we had people down in front square kind of just word of mouth kind of being like, oh yeah, do you want to try this? Well, go up those stairs right now and try it out. And then there were other people who were kind of setting up um, kind of appointments and this sort of thing. Um, but just the absolute variety of people that came in, the amount of voices, the amount of different musical backgrounds, um, musical abilities, just everything. And as someone naturally kind of introverted. I was just so impressed with the fact that people were just giving things, giving anything a crack. Like mm. people were just wandering around front square and said, Oh, what's this? And it's like, Oh, we're a singing group. And they're like, cool. I want to do that. And we'll just on the spot, go straight up and sing in front of myself and Andy. Like that was mm. incredible. Like one, one guy I remember didn't know what falsetto was. And, and Andy tried to explain it to him. So we were doing the, the range test, which is literally myself or Andy went over to the piano and would just play a note and they would sing it. And then you go up and up and up and up and up on the piano. Mm. And then you go down and down and down and down and down. So at, at one point, pretty low in, in this guy's register, um, he kind of runs out of, runs out of gas. And Andy's like, oh, it's, it's, it's fine if you want to want to use falsetto. And he's like, oh, I, what? Um, and Andy was like, you know, fal falsetto, like your your head voice kind of thing. And he was like, oh, I, I, I don't know what you mean. And so one of us gave him an, an example. Um, and he was like, I don't know how to do that. And Andy was like, you know, when when, when you talk like a girl? And he was like, yeah, I think so. And it's like, you know, when you, when, you, when you talk like this? And he was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, well, just sing like that. And good lord this lad just kept going up and up. it was the highest falsetto i've ever heard in my life he just kept Jeez. going 
Um, and he, like, he would look at us being like, is this safe? And it was like, go on, you can do that. And he just kept going. Um, there was a pretty, across the first round, like a pretty high standard in terms of people who we were considering. And there were lots of kind of question marks as you would expect, it's kind of hoping, hoping to iron this out in the in the callback. It's just kind of like a yeah, but what about this? It's like oh, I, I, you don't have you don't have long enough. You really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do this the second round, which is it includes current members. It's more a, a test of how you get on, how well you can blend in the group. Just kind of do you fit kind of thing. Mm. Um, and there were some, I'm trying to remember, there were definitely some who like immediately, it was just like, no, this guy is a born soloist, but just has never sung in a group like this before. Mm. Um, just doesn't really know what blending is. Um, I have one or two in mind, actually. But it was just, it was just a case of, like you're so good on the guitar or the piano by yourself, but this it's different when you're singing yeah. with 15 other voices. Like it is, it's, it's a different, it's a different battle. Um, mm. But yeah. And then obviously I had no say in whether Ross got in or not, mm. Mm. but no, to, to be fair, Ross was one of the most beautiful soloists and obviously an accomplished musician being in the orchestra. Um, I remember after after his audition, you were kind of <laughs> you just said to me, oh, <laughs> I don't know, can I swear on this podcast?" Um, but you you kind of were just like disappointed that he was good enough to yeah to, to yeah, let yeah. into the group. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then I remember what what had happened with with Cahill Dervin, who was one of the guys who went on to to direct the group. Um, he. I think in his range test, going up and up and up, kind of messed with his voice. And then when we went down and down and down, he only got so far and kind of ran out of steam. And we were like, okay, this guy is in the the baritone competition. Um, so he, in my head, was competing with Niall Barrett, was it? Um, and then when he turned up at the... Um, at the callbacks, it was a case of like he explained himself. He's like, "Yeah, I, I, I didn't want to say it to, uh, just to be making excuses, but like the um, the range test really messed me up the last time. I'm actually a bass, and we were kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, okay, okay. You can see that there are no other bases being auditioned here. You're gonna you're gonna slot yourself in. But then he started singing in his bass register." holy shit it's beautiful beautiful bass voice really resonant um, was his uh, audition song not baby lock them doors no it was but it just it didn't have the same effect right. as it as it does now okay like obviously he was hitting the notes but like i know he can shake the room with mm. with that voice so mm. um he sang the part to Sunny Afternoon, didn't he? It was like, doom, 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 yeah, doom. yeah, yeah. And it, yeah. you felt like he would just keep going, like there was no limit to how low <laughs> yeah, this thing yeah. was going to go in the callback. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and I think I think the main dispute myself and Andy had was over Niall Barrett. Um, like Niall, Niall will say himself, like he's not, um, he wouldn't have the same vocal quality as a lot of the guys in the group. Mm. But in terms of musicianship, like he's one of the most accomplished musicians I know. Like he's, um, yeah, he's just, he's got a serious music brain. Um, mm. And I feel, I'll put my hand up. I really, really, if Andy hadn't um, convinced me, um, it would have been one of the biggest mistakes ever, not letting mm. him into the group. Um, and also, I became such good friends with him, um, such good friends with him on the tours and stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I'll, I'll give you that one, Andy. Yeah, I think it was just one of those cases where the experience of having done the auditions before really came in because you were seeing all these guys come in and they were like really strong solos or whatever. You just knew by Niall from his sight reading in particular. I I knew straight away like I think we need to have this guy. Yeah. But it, it's only because I'd had the experience of seeing so many people come through in, in the years before that it like I was able to maybe see that. Yeah. Yeah. Owen, I can't remember what he sung. Danny Boy. Was it Danny Boy? But just yeah. such an unusual solo solo voice and like my main issue was like this guy's not going to be able to blend um he's just going to be another nail done um <laughs> no i'm joking um but yeah just incredible almost because i'd i'd seen him in uh the was it the tmt production yeah yeah um, but i i hadn't joined the dots i didn't know that this guy in front of me was that guy from the stage um until he started singing and i was like oh like just incredible kind of really almost operatic style um and again really really solid uh musician he's a piano player um kind of didn't struggle at all with the rest of the uh the auditions and then obviously his bundles of charisma like he yeah. got on once we went to the, the second round and it was kind of in a bigger group we just got on so well with with everyone in terms of bringing in four people like can't get much better than that uh, yeah four four out of four really so yeah we have our we have we have our gen eight again as usual busier probably busier than ever uh with gigs and whatnot um but i'm gonna i'm gonna hop right into december of that year um where a lot of things happened so once again we returned to st andrews and we had lost ranald around as you said andy late october november and we thought it was goodbye and then we went to st andrews to do the same gig we had done the previous year and we got a big shock uh when we took to the stage in uh in the great in the grand hall and i spoke to ranald about uh when he he gave me the fright of my life well of course mate it was not my idea whatsoever <laughs> of course it was andy's andy's pulling all the strings at this stage right and he's one for like a little bit of uh you know a bit of uh tomfoolery so mm. So yeah, he was just like, uh, 
because I, I was planning to go out of Lon- London, and then I extended my flight. I think. Oh. Um, I'd ha yeah, I'd left Ireland at that point. Um, and I yeah, I was actually in St Andrews the weekend before. But we'd, I think oh, we yeah. planned this out maybe a couple of weeks ahead, maybe or something. And I was like, "Look, I probably can come to this St Andrews gig." And he, he was like, "Why don't like don't tell anyone? I want to like make it a, make it a surprise." And so, of course, um, it was it was funny because I was in London and then, uh, had actually been up in St Andrews the previous week for Thanksgiving with Savannah's family. Um, and going back down to London. So that's, everyone was like, oh, damn, Rand just, I missed out on the St. Andrews thing by the week. But of course, like, I was going to come back up, um, on the train. And, uh, yeah, uh, I guess I had to hide out in St. Andrews all day, which is, (laughs) it's not a big place, so I basically couldn't do much. And then, um... And then as it's starting, I came out and um, I pranked you guys. Yeah. Did you say something? I said, uh, I don't know, something along the lines of like, you didn't didn't think you could start this without uh, your old pal Ran. And, uh, <laughs> and then I walked on stage and then, oh, it's funny. I'm glad it's on video as well so I can see the reactions. Like you were like shocked. Yeah, I think Carl was like pretty amused. Hmm. Um, I just remembered I, the the sh- like the gasp. I think mainly yeah. People, some people wouldn't have had any idea what was going True, on. True, you had to. It was a bit of an in joke, obviously. So. Yeah, it was a bit of an in joke. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was pretty nice, dude. It was. A, it was actually. It was. Yeah, it was a good thing to do before I came back. But yeah, that was a that was a lovely moment. Um, yeah. No, it was, it was good. Ev, do you have any thoughts now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was just everyone's reaction. So obviously I <gasps> I sing tenor one. So I'm um, like from, from our perspective, I'm far right all the way at the edge. So I can see everyone's face really clearly at once. And I was also looking straight across at Sam, who sings bass on the far side. And it was from behind Sam that Ranald emerged. Yeah, so we're all there doing like the the arrangement is beautiful. Like this at the start, it's it's really uh, ethereal and it's all gorgeous chords and all this. And Sam's ready to go, big deep <laughs> breath, and this enormous Australian hand lands on his shoulder, and <laughs> Ranald just starts singing. And Sam goes whiter than Christmas anyway. And it's just <laughs> mouth, mouth fully agape. Like just can't believe it. Like really, like nothing's coming out. There's no reaction at all. Um, Rand's loving this. I think, did maybe some of the group know already? Uh, I think it was just the two of us. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> And then I think Billy then was to my left. Um, and Billy just starts tearing up. Yeah. And then he gets me going. So there's no, <laughs> there's no upper, upper register at all in the song for the whole thing. Like myself and Billy can't get a note out. There is no T1 <laughs> sound. But uh, speaking of 
the whole Ronald leaving. I remember when he left, we had a gig, maybe the day the day that he had gone, and I remember we were all kind of feeling a bit low. And then also we had this gig, which I won't name the shop or the establishment, but it was probably my least favorite gig up right up there with one of the worst we had to do. And uh, it was so bad, but somehow one of the most amazing, one of the most amazing things happened as a result of it. It's, it's actually kind of similar to, and it's not maybe the same lengths, but when we went to Ireland's called talent and it wasn't necessarily the greatest experience, but then we, the, the benefits we reaped from it were uh, enormous, obviously in the videos later. Mm. But s- similar to that, there was just a guy watching us uh, who who came up to us after, and myself and Evan Agani, we went up to Ross actually, and he said, uh, can I get your number? I'd be interested in hiring you guys. Mm. So Ross gave him the number anyway, I get a call the next day at around 10, I'm in bed, I, I get up two hours later, see so I've missed a call from this number and uh, call it. And it's like, uh, hello, this is the office of the president of Ireland. <laughs> so immediately I was like, oh my God. And she said, oh, I think I know who is looking for you. I'll put you through to him. And it was the president's sort of, I'm not sure his exact rank in there, but his right-hand man mm. called Kevin. And he said he had seen us at this um, shop. And would we like to, to come in and perform at Christmas? So then, Ev, do you remember that the two of us went up to the Aris for a spot of tea? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. That was a lovely afternoon. Kevin, absolute gent as well. But yeah, that was that was just surreal, really. The kind of, how it all transpired. And then, obviously, you getting on to me and being like, you wouldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then the and then the night itself, I guess we can jump to going to the well, before artist. before that. I think it was the, the night before, or certainly the couple of days before. Do you want to talk about that first? We had the Tiger Tones back. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, oh, was that that close? Yeah. So that was our Christmas concert that year. Was in the chapel uh, where the Trinity the Trinity Tiger Tones returned to Dublin, uh, where we had the Clash of the Tones round three. Um and yeah, uh another another great gig. Um great to great to have the lads back. Like it's um that was like kind of a whirlwind, yeah, because we were so busy. I don't think uh um maybe it kind of passed us by pretty quickly then being there that time. Um but uh yeah, it was great to have them back, Andy. Yeah, it was uh, that was one of the most fun concerts we did i think i remember having just so much fun doing that uh, it was a real like friendly home crowd we were doing a lot of new songs and it was the first time these kind of younger guys newer guys had had their chance to get out and perform and yeah busy christmas once again uh with with, uh, with that term gig and then yeah just before the christmas holidays we come to the rs and uh yeah Pat, how did you feel about uh, going to sing for the for the president? 
church was amazing really just to just to get the chance to, to go there and i i think there was a certain um well the fact is it was the last gig before christmas and we had put a lot of thought into what we'd sing and how we'd stand and whether we all should stand in parts or spread out or if we didn't want like perhaps the president to get like too much t1 in one ear and too much bass in the other ear we we're trying to trying to work out how exactly we'd work it um but it was fantastic really and i, I remember we, we met up I, I feel like we met up in good time in house five mm. um beforehand but we still managed to be late and be stressed <laughs> somehow um i think we tried to walk it and then suddenly realized we actually didn't even enough time to get there but um i think it worked out in the end i think I, I, I don't think we actually kept them waiting but um it was funny because we had so much like preparation and thought going to it and then suddenly it was just a last minute sprint to the door yeah um, phoenix park yeah out. bloody massive and we thought we could walk it <laughs> i think we just hopped into taxis around maybe houston uh and we did get there in good time i remember and uh and like it's just a beautiful place to go to at christmas they really deck they decorate everything i remember there's this massive gingerbread house in one of the rooms in the room i think we sang in, like all this sort of stuff um and it was, I can't remember the exact occasion. I don't know if we expected other people to be there that we would recognize, but it was a small enough room and it was a private, private audience with, 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 with President Higgins, his wife, Sabina, and their esteemed guests. It was the outgoing meal for, for leaving members of the Council of State. Oh yeah, that was it. But it was very intimate, Andy. Yeah, maybe there were 50 people there. Is that mm. even too many? That's about, uh, that we, sounds about right. Yeah. We got to go into the reception after, which is really nice as well. Mm. Billy, what did you think of the... Uh, what What were your memories of, of that night? Um. Oh, I mean, obviously, pride, number one, like being, being able to mm. sing for the president. I always thought, like, those definitely... You kind of think of the highlights of your of your train career and definitely that has to be number one um because even like telling telling family and stuff I and mean, seeing for the president is just such an honor um mm. i i would think i was taken aback by how genuinely nice he is um president michael d higgins uh like mm. you kind of seen interviews and seen him speak and stuff but actually sit, standing in front of him and him kind of i don't know just being being really nice and um yeah, the room was daunting. I remember like going into the room and sort of being like, fuck, I'm only a college student here and I'm surrounded by like <laughs> famous, not famous people in Ireland, but like well-to-do people in Ireland and obviously the president. Um, mm. Yeah, no, it was it was amazing. I think one of the, it's, it's, it's funny when you like rock up to the Phoenix Park and you get to the gate and the lad like at the the guard at the at the gate is like who are you? We're like oh we're the train It's like oh yeah come on in. It's just it's kind of a surreal <laughs> thing to happen. But yeah no it's was, it was good crack. Anything to add, Andy? No, I think you've you've hit it nail on the head there, everyone. Mm. Um, yeah, just a really great experience. Uh, and it, as Pat says, I think it was really nice. It was the last gig of the year. I think we all went up to the Lord Edward or something after for a drink. Yeah, on the Swan. And it was just. Yeah, and it was just a nice kind of like happy Christmas. Uh, 2018 has been absolutely insane. And it had, it, like with the viral videos and mm. the Robert Kennedy performance and the Yankee Stadium, the Tour to America, 
electric picnic and then it was just such a lovely way to to cap that uh anis mirabilis off we come to april 2019 and again we're in trinity ball season so uh of and again we had some issues with with the organize with the organizers being a bit hesitant to give us a slot uh on on the lineup but thankfully this time they came through and we managed we did perform at the ball this this time round but we still decided we needed to top what we had done last year and do as we've uh, become expected to do and go live on Facebook once again and we did in the form of Sean Kingston's beautiful girls uh medley with uh, stand by me by benny king which was again widely shared and garnered and is still garnering millions of views online like not just like the previous videos where it, it like was nuts for a couple of weeks and then it went away this is one of the videos that is still going like it's still popping up like we're all still getting messages about it like it's popping up on meme pages left right and center even recently it's just uh it is we didn't think we could get another level of virality but uh little did we know that this would uh this would take us into the stratosphere um and billy you were one of the soloists in this video so uh What's the last three years of your life been like with this video? How <laughs> <laughs> things changed, really. Are you, still, are you still the man you were? <laughs> I've gotten a lot dizzier because watching that video over and over again <laughs> makes you so dizzy. But the one thing I, I was thinking, like, sort of about that uh, video is that when we first obviously did it, it was super chill, and well, majority of us were we're drunk or whatever so we, we didn't take it as seriously but I remember like before the the beautiful girls live video maybe it's because I was soloing so like you you're more uh, focused on on what you should do or whatever but there was way more concentration and kind of like prep beforehand um and we even I think we did me bring a mic and you can see like a yeah. little tuft of it at the bottom of the screen and stuff so it was taken much more seriously, and it's interesting that it still did so well. But actually, the quality didn't increase um, in the in, in terms of the uh, capturing of quality uh, with the music of the video because when things get shared so much, well, they they just lose yeah. video quality anyway. So crazy time, crazy time. We had been singing that song for a longer at that stage than we would have been the likes of Budapest and New York and stuff, and we had like our choreo and stuff. And the video, well, the video, we like managed to click the HD button on this one, so it's actually probably the best quality in terms of live videos that we have. Um, considerably better, I'd say. And then, as you said, Billy, we had this phone mic that we were able to use, and yeah, Barry O'Connell was behind the camera this time. Maybe I have a sort of alternate perspective on this video. The first one, I remember being like giddy with excitement with how well it was doing. And like, even in the moment, it felt, felt great. But like, beautiful girls, I remember just, <laughs> there was nothing spontaneous about it, as you guys have said. We just went and recorded it. We had planned to record it. 
uh, and then <laughs> I remember just like, yeah, okay, I don't know, we all went to the ball or whatever. A friend of mine came up to me later and said, I saw that video of yours, it's on like 70,000 views. And like, whereas the year before, that would have been like, oh my God, that's incredible. I remember just saying like, yeah, it'll probably get a couple of million. I'm like, not really, <laughs> not really like caring that much about it. And it's funny that that one has stuck around. I, I think Ev and I missed a lot of that uh, when it got shared and reshared after after we left the group. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't have like particularly fond memories of that video necessarily. It was much more like pre-planned. Uh, mm. It was just like, <laughs> we're, we're doing this and we're going to, it's just going to go viral. <laughs> it's weird, like planned virality. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it, it's certainly the most viewed. It's our most viewed video on on YouTube now. Like, I think it's, I'll just check, but it's got like 7 million views on YouTube, which is pretty good for a YouTube video. Uh, 8.9 million views. But uh, yeah, Beautiful Girls, more than any other video, I think, has has resonated the most. And it, it wouldn't, it like, it's on the back of all the other videos. Like, it, there would be no, it, it wouldn't be what it is without what has come before. Um, but yeah, we... It, it is it was executed very very well and i think barry barry i'll give credit to barry barry did a nice job even at the beginning when carl is clicking in like people that's the first thing people see like make jokes about carl ha, ha, ha. and then and then barry pans to barra for hey y'all sean kingston like it's really like it's really good like the way that happened and that's right at the start of the video and it really draws people in i think so I think though it also it, it shows how how like fun the group is in the sense that mm. I Doug never intended on being like the Chicago guy. Chicago. But every yeah. time I see like whenever it goes viral, there's always the like top comment, Oh, I wanna be the Chicago guy or like I wish I could get his, I don't know, Instagram or something like that. I, I saw something the other day. It was just like, my boy really going for that Chicago. And it's like 50,000 likes on the comment. <laughs> <laughs> was that in the, Andy, did you, who, whose idea was the Chicago? It's not in the arrangement. I think, I think that was your idea, was it? It was, yeah. We did another great term gig in the Unitarian that uh, May and like again all these gigs we've done the unitarian have been have been brilliant and nice to do one in the summer we hadn't done one in the summer before and it was really nice really nice crowd great set of songs um and by that time lads we'd like we i remember we went to ardmore to do to look to do maybe bef- this is before trinity ball and all that and we got to the point where we had maybe eight or nine guys arranging music, which is just incredible. Well, that was very much a thing that Evan and I, if you talk about like a plan for the group, this was definitely something we were prioritizing. And I spoke about it at the start of getting the arrangers in. We said to people, right, Ev, you bring an arrangement to Art Moore and we will do it. The group will perform it. And it ended up, it ended up with, with getting some dodgy arrangements, admittedly. Yeah, we, we, we said to everyone at a rehearsal, maybe like three weeks before we went, if you send us an arrangement by the Thursday before we go, we'll do it down in our barn. 
and yeah, it really, really got a good buy-in. It did, yeah. I forgot that that's that was kind of the the intention, yeah. Um, and then that was kind of reflected. We would have in in that gig in the Unitarian, we would have done some of those arrangements. We probably probably learned, but in the in the set, uh, you had yeah different uh, numbers arranged by different people and 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 that's continued like so many guys are because it's quite a it's quite a big thing like putting yourself out there and trying and trying your hand at arranging and over the years people have gotten more and more confident and felt like they can they can give it a go and and just and just learn the set list for that gig was was amazing and uh and then yeah i, I don't want to dwell on it too much but yeah we did go down to Ardmore after that to try and we were planning on recording an album and I think it was a big learning experience for us and and the group have since released music, haven't released quite an album, but um I don't think I think it was important though that week or so of I guess trying and and failing to a certain extent uh, to get it done. But um yeah, Andy, um what are your reflections on that uh, period? It's like uh, it's like Dickens said, you know, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Because the crack I had that week, myself and Ev, when we were recording, mm. was unbelievable. Like, it was so much fun. It was. But also, the days were so long. Mm. Uh, and it was good that we had each other, I think, because we were getting frustrated with everyone else. <laughs> for not singing their lines properly and we would, we'd be working from like eight until 10 you'd go to sleep mm. and then like you, you'd wake up at eight o'clock and just immediately go back into this room it, evan yeah. had it worse he was sleeping in the room we were recording in yeah never left it <laughs> it was just like it was so grimy in there i remember it was like the small things i remember the lads drove into the chinese one day and i was like could you just get me a spice bag they came back and I'd forgotten to get me any food. <laughs> and I was just like, so sad. Mm. <laughs> so, so sad. Yeah. Uh, but it was like, I don't know if you remember, Ev, um, Barrett and Dougie had to do just two <laughs> bars at the end of Call Me Al. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, it, took them, it took them 47 takes to do two bars. Yeah. And eventually I was like, maybe I'll just give it a try. <laughs> Got it in one take. And they were just like, get out. <laughs> get out. I think Ed was like, get out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, so Dougie's living over in London as well. And that came up. I can't remember who we were with, but that came up. And I, I was just, I just lambasted him. Like I just had to, had to tell whoever we were talking to about this um and he, he he doesn't argue that's exactly how it went um but yeah it was funny like it was himself and barrett and um who is a natural born sight reader and we were like no just sing what's on the sheet and then this went on for 47 takes um oh god it was it was shocking like i was just decaying on the, in that room for a week all, all, I, all i had was the the crack with andy and the the bacon buddies that patrick was delivering me yeah um, pat, pat was so good to us that week in fairness you really, you really looked out for us pat well i'm glad i could help i feel like i i i i just 
was just well to be honest i had a great week uh, <laughs> as much as you had a bad week i really enjoyed that week just just like excuse to be there and just kind of running running the kitchen i guess um not to say i'm a good chef at all i delegated a lot of the jobs but um it was just nice like because the group the group were kind of interested in putting this together and uh just be part of like a, a like a cog in, in 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 the machine um i thought it was quite nice but i i do think we learned so much from doing that and from that experience and i feel like we kind of got caught out a little bit in that maybe some of the arrangements that we were, had learned suddenly we discovered oh maybe this is not exactly what was written on the score and i think there's a lot of those issues that kind of came to a head there and, and i think it made us better musicians uh, more diligent uh, score readers i think after that mm. definitely time was again time was against us as well yeah for a long time i had said i would never do that again and <laughs> if you told me that we'd booked a place next week for a week and we were going to give it another crack i would absolutely go along because mm. um, i feel we like I would know what I'm doing better in terms of recording and producing it. Um, mm. But also just the, it was more the logistics of it. Um, mm. Like obviously the physics behind like the harmonic series, not, not recording the basses first was just like, you, there's no right. foundation. It's going to, it's going to be bad. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. Would yeah. you do it the same If you were doing it again, would you do it the same way? So what did we do? We did like, two from each part uh we did two from each we part. started off we wasted the first day by getting f- everyone from the part in at yeah. the same time it just took so long right yeah and then we broke it up to two to two per part we were able to release some of the work uh well raglan what being one that we did in the chapel and then from that week in ardmore we we managed to salvage uh, grace kelly which like is unbelievable because dan and sang it in one take <laughs> pretty much <laughs> and again another summer building up to our third international tour so our west coast tour west coast best coast tour began on the 2nd of Van- of 2nd of august in vancouver where we performed at vancouver pride um which was great crack and then we were there for a few days and then we went to seattle um where we spent a few days there from there we rented uh we rented cars drove down to portland for a few days where we performed in an irish pub uh in portland i have it here we performed uh in kell's irish bar portland and then we did a joint concert with the green note a cappella in the first presbyterian church in portland then on to from there we went on to patrick's point uh which is just uh, as you enter california then to san francisco uh where we hung out in berkeley with some fellow acapella people and among other things did some busking then let's say unsuccessfully went to yosemite we did a day trip to Yosemite before the the main leg of the the trip uh, finishing in Los Angeles um so Andy and and Ev how was what was it like organizing this trip 
What challenges did you face? It's the biggest challenge, and I think the biggest disappointment of the tour were the sort of gigs that didn't quite didn't necessarily fall through, but weren't what they were promised necessarily. So we had no context on the West Coast, so we were never mm. going to have a Athenaeum or Yankees uh, yeah. performance. But we had down, we were supposed to be for, performing on the main stage at Vancouver Pride. Oh, and we yeah. got moved then to this like very, very small stage platform. at the back on the day. Yeah, yeah platform. Uh, remember, I think, Sam, you and I went down the day before and we saw the main stage and we thought, wow, this is going to be unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we ended up on this, like, the third stage, quite disappointing. Um, that group in Berkeley had promised us a concert. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Uh, and then when we got there, they were like, <laughs> I don't know, we for- we forgot to promote it or something. So, uh, so I don't know what was going just, on. Yeah. We ended up just, like, singing with them for a bizarre encounter they were yeah. nice but it was a bizarre encounter and then in la when we were we did a performance at a yacht club mm. it had been presented in a way that like we would it would be a sit-down dinner a bit like we had done at the australia club yeah uh, but it ended up not not quite being that now we still got the performance in and we still did we had a lot of performances on that tour mm. but i think it was quite disappointing um that those kind of fell through and they were only really fell through like on the day when we got there, it kind of mm. became apparent in each case that, uh, you know, those gigs weren't going to happen mm. or weren't going to happen the way we had envisaged them. Having said that, maybe ever Pat could come in here as well. It was arguably the most fun I had on any tour. It was on that West coast tour, uh, of the three. It was just so, it was like madcap from start to finish. And just like really, really a great time. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree on that. Um, yeah, in terms of challenges, it ran pretty clean. Like obviously the the gigs were disappointing, but like there was there was no issues at the border. There were no no health issues along the way. Um, you were you were again another director fell ill for a couple of days. I remember you have. Maybe a couple of days in Seattle. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I think that was it. Was just exhaustion more than anything. Um, but yeah, and then I shaved my head. In, uh, you did for, for for the listeners. I'm I'm now a bald man, but I, I shaved <laughs> shaved my head in uh, in Patrick's Point. Um, yeah. The uh, just the excitement of it all just got to me. But Pat, uh, this was your first full tour so how would you compare it to to the states i guess well you were the the east coast because obviously you were driving so it's a much more different it's much uh quite a different experience yeah for sure i i felt a lot more involved i think this time around uh, i think i was just given more responsibility and even just being a driver i felt you know part of how the whole thing was running so um you know it was great to be there for the whole thing i i, I feel like the year before i just kind of gotten in late and you're kind of behind on just the vibe and, and the bonding and, and the in jokes and whatnot so to be there from the start is always is always helpful um but yeah no a really great trip and the fact that there was so much driving in it um i personally didn't mind it i think uh, i was very happy to drive and, and the cars were 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 great actually in the, and they, they they almost drove themselves for some of it actually cruise control somehow yeah. yes exactly 
I feel like obviously the West is much bigger and like the drives, some of the drives were long, mm. but I just feel that um, apart from arriving at um, Yosemite and the, the <laughs> campground we booked had been decommissioned. Mm. Um, apart from that, like it was, you'd arrive somewhere and you'd park yourself up on the couch for an hour and just catch up. And then you're just kind of at the same energy level and at the same pace as the lads. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a burden at all. Mm. And then obviously like everyone's conscious that you're, you've, you're making the sacrifice to drive. So like people are, I don't know, they'll buy you a coffee or buy some chocolates. And, um, apart, apart from, apart from on the way from San Francisco to, um, to Yosemite where, Andy vowed to 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 stay up with me. And did you? Did we drove you, through the night. Yeah. Yeah, but you, like you, you said you wanted to put some album on. Was that it? Or no, I I was like, ah, come on, like let's not take the highway. Let's go on the back roads. That's it. That's what it was. <laughs> so yeah, we were like, oh, it'll be really nice to get like the. We were going through through kind of like a little little lake district and the moon was was out and we were like oh we'll catch it now because w- what we'd seen on the way down highway 101 up in north california was the moon out at sea and just us driving along in the dark with the windows open and the moon on the water and we were like let's try and recreate that so we end up in this lake district kind of thing on the way to uh, uh to yosemite and <laughs> and he was just like oh there's water over this direction. It's 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 only like maybe 45, 50 minutes longer. Do you want to go that way instead of just highway driving? And I was like, yeah, yeah, fair enough. It might keep me awake a bit better as well. And kind of the rest of the car fall asleep. Myself and Andy are saying, oh, this would be this would be lovely. Now this would be a memory that we'll have and they won't have. And we kind of get to the get to the the road, and it's all completely tree lined. Like you can't see the lakes at all. <laughs> And Andy just turns over and goes to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Good times. But Ronald made a good point. It was kind of a different, um, there was a different kind of uh, vision behind the trip, I think. So, um, yeah, I, I had an awesome time, man. And it was it was just it was more of an opportunity to like to travel, yeah, and see see like the West Coast and do a big like ro- road trip, mm. um, rather than the other one. We were really hitting up these spots and like trying to do gigs, and mm. um, this one we were kind of like just like traveling around and doing the odd gig, but getting to see a bunch of stuff. Um, yeah. It was cool. It was actually really cool. And we got like big, big cars and stuff. It was, it was really fun, man. And then saw some amazing stuff along the way. Like I think about the those natural pools that we stopped off at on one of the long drives from um, when we just entered California. Um, and yeah, really just beautiful red, the redwoods and all these kind of things. Finding that beautiful river near Patrick's Point and stuff like that, like or beautiful lake i can't remember if we were just chilling like swimming all day like i think you could fill like two hours alone just talking about this this mm. kind of uh, all these small stories on the story it was a real 
a real adventure like yeah um i just yeah hmm. just a brilliant brilliant three weeks and as i said the only downside was kind of that a couple of the gigs fell through uh, while, while we were over there. And the thing is, stuff did go wrong, like Ev, you mentioned Yosemite. But like, even from the very off, like Ev, you missing your flight, Fionn missing his flight, Ben having a, like a 12-hour delay in uh, Toronto, I remember. Uh, but we we just dealt with it. Like, there wasn't like any, I don't remember there being like any big arguments or anything like even when we arrived in Patrick's Point and we couldn't like check in for all the rooms and stuff like that, like yeah, yeah. Well, because you see, this, this is what you could talk, talk about. Yeah, I know, I know. This all night. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. Evan, I decided our car were going down um, Highway One Hundred One, <laughs> which like was not the most direct way. There was like a motorway that was that was way more direct, uh, and we were like three hours later than everyone else, but. I had booked the rooms under our names and the person at the desk like refused to let you guys in as if like 12 Irish guys were <laughs> in Patrick's point and just chancing their arm under the name of someone who just happened to have booked <laughs> three rooms. Like it was the guy was an arsehole. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember though, you guys were, were justifiably like so annoyed. I remember we, we uh, got it. We were able, we were able to check in Patrick, I was in Patrick's car and Patrick, one of the names was under Patrick's name. So he uh, was okay. able to check in, but uh, the, the second Ross's car were not happy because they I remember going in. in, we had those disposable cameras. I remember saying to Ed, should we go in and take a picture of them when we walk in? <laughs> <laughs> those were great. Like we were talked about like merch, like that we had on the trips. Yeah. We had disposable cameras on that trip and bloody hell yeah that was photos. a great that was Ev's idea again that was a really good idea oh amazing photos we got from that um Owen Han's a big fan of his he had about 10 disposable cameras by the end it was of it was funny just like seeing them all come through in the developed batches and just yeah. seeing all the different different but the same adventures that each car had and stuff like that yeah um like I remember opening up one and just all of it being completely unfamiliar and it was just like I know I know I was was there but like i wasn't there with these guys and i wasn't because the car is particularly on this t- tour the car is there was much more scope to mm-hmm. kind of do your own thing between cities um, yeah but yeah um as andy said i feel we could talk about this forever um yeah. and i gladly yeah. would so i don't know how you want to wrap it up sam no we will we'll wrap it up there um the last thing i want to just say is um so Pretty much after this trip, Andy, yourself, and Ev uh, departed. Pretty much, um, we ha- we had like an electric picnic again after that. But you guys felt that was it. Like it was a good way, uh, a nice way to go out. Um, and yeah, how did you guys feel uh, leaving the group? Yeah, I I felt it was time to go. Mm. I didn't didn't want to be hanging around. Didn't want to do a year of grace. Um, yeah. Just, I I directed the group for this at this stage for two years. I I just felt it was time to move on and give somebody else a chance. I thought that if I was around in the room the next year, I think I probably felt the same. It would go some way to undermining the new director. I'm not saying that necessarily happened. I know like Ben and Neil stayed on past. Mm. 
past and I don't think that was the case but I was a bit conscious of that maybe uh yeah I think like leaving Trinidad's because I've been thinking about it obviously the last week or two being on this podcast and I saw a post the group made now and it said it was talking about gen seven and eight and it said the era that was defined by the virality of beautiful girls and i think in many ways they're right like because that's the thing that people will remember from that these guys who are making the post probably don't even know who i am right they just have seen the video mm. and it's kind of a funny thing you're part of trinitones for a number of years you're a very small part of a big thing that extends beyond you there are people who were in it before me who don't know me people who are in it after me who don't know me so for me my experience at trinitones or what trinitones is to me isn't defined by the virality of video or singing in yankee stadium or you know going to australia it's it's the things i remember are you know staying up late and and going out to to a pub in portland with ross <laughs> or like you know, going to the cinema with Owen Hand and Ben Stacy, catching catching a late screening after busking, or hmm. you know, go driving back from Ardmore one glorious spring afternoon, and it was just myself and Evan in the car, and driving up for those three hours, and like those are the memories that stick with me from Trinitones, and that's that's really what Trinitones was to me, and I think that's the way I'll always remember it, and it's been really nice to. On your show here everybody else's version of that because ultimately that's that's what the group is all about i think here here very nice andy ev follow that <laughs> <laughs> i can't um yeah i feel leaving was a funny one um like myself and andy had always talked about like the the Dolce et decorum, kind of the right thing to do would be to to leave the group on a on a miserable Thursday corporate gig and <laughs> just never be heard of again. So like, <laughs> and we always like obviously we joked about it, but that was kind of the reality. It was we kind of thought you know you'd be you'd be asked back or this and that, but like to be able to leave it having finessed a West Coast tour and whatever about the, the memory of the group, but like the, the guys who were involved at the time would remember you as, you know, that you, you got us, you got us through that. That's, that's kind of all I ask for really. Um, like Andy described a few memories there. Like I would, if I could be remembered as having provided a few of those, even just with, with being the driver, even just whatever to feature in a few of them. I don't know. Um, that's, that's kind of all I ask for really. Um, or I'd hope for, um, but yeah, it's life post post Trinitones is, it's been a funny one. Um, like I'm still involved professionally in music, but as a solo thing. So like all that camaraderie, all the, the trips and stuff is, it's not there and it's funny. Um, much more focus on music and the performance and stuff, but it's yeah, without that element, it's hugely lacking at times. Um, 
yeah, just to have the having the company there and the camaraderie to kind of drag it over the line. Um, yeah, it's definitely something that's kind of missing now. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people could say that, myself included. Um, but uh, no, lovely words, lads. And I might throw in a comment from Ronald as well, because um, he did join us on that trip. Um, and that was kind of his final thing um, as well. So, uh, Mate, I would, I would say that uh, I felt very fortunate, I think, um, to come through at the time that I did and have those two years because I feel like, I feel like, I mean, those, those, those were such two, like, awesome years of the group. Um, uh, I just felt very fortunate that I was in that situation um, and that, uh, yeah, I felt like I was, it was mostly, obviously, the directors and, more senior guys in the group doing lots of the work behind the scenes um so i felt like very fortunate to be along the for the ride and very grateful for that so um yeah i I would say i had i was just like felt so lucky that i was in um those trim tones for those years because that was such, such fun man it was so much fun it's like such an awesome experience especially for me coming from australia just like living in ireland like really getting to do something cool like that the whole time that made it really special man yeah but i think uh i think that's a nice way to leave it um i'd like to thank all of you uh for joining me uh we have billy andy evan patrick and ranald so and uh, hopefully we'll hear from billy and patrick next week on the final episode of the 10 years of tones podcast and just a, a reminder we're nearly at gig time. We're just a, a week out, just under by the time this goes out, it'll be under a week until we take to the stage in the Sugar Club on April 16th for the 10th anniversary concert. So get your tickets on the sugarclub.com and uh, we'd love to see you there for a great night of music. But for me and all the lads, thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week, all being well. Good luck. His wings at the dawn of day.